0: Welcome to episode 343 of the Tennis Laws podcast with special guest Ante Pavic on navigating the ATP tour, match preparation and technical changes.
2: Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your
0: game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the show. Really excited to bring you this interview with Ante Pavic, who I'm sure at least some of you have... Uh, Recognize this name as Ante, had a career-high ranking of 132 in singles and 106 in doubles. Uh, Super high level, obviously. I really love interviewing top pros on the show. Ante also reached the second round of Wimbledon and the first-round main draw at the French Open, actually on his first try, which we'll uh, talk about, obviously, in the interview. That was pretty epic. Ante has also won a combined 31 futures and challenger titles in singles and doubles, and he is now a tennis coach in Fort Lauderdale uh, slash Boca Raton areas in Florida. So, yeah, we get into a lot of really great topics today, including technique and you know how you should go about changing it, and how much is too much in terms of technical instruction. Also, of course, uh, Ante's many epic experiences as a professional on at the ATP—excuse me, the ATP tour. Also, how Ante prepared for his matches and how he thought about going about the strategy against his opponents, his thought process, um, what he did the night before—that I think a lot of you all, all of you, should try doing how hard it is on the the tour to uh, survive financially and even differences between futures tours in the US and abroad, which is really, really interesting discussion and also struggling with pressure on the tour, which as you can imagine with the money struggles and prizes on the line and traveling and everything is, is tough. So a lot to glean from and learn from and implement in your game and mentalities so also a big shout out to my friends uh victor and laith uh for making this interview happen they're my uh, usta buddies and they're friends with Ante. so definitely uh you know the introduction was super helpful so shout out again um but yeah with that i think you'll really enjoy this episode. It was, you know, an hour and 15 or 20 minutes and just flew by. So uh, the good news is Ante uh, is down to do another one sometime, so that would be really fun. So uh, with that, enjoy this episode. And without further ado, here's my interview with Ante Pavic. Hey everybody, welcome to this special episode with Ante Pavic, I'm really excited to have him on because he has a, such a wealth of, of experience, uh, having incredible, um, you know, journey through through the pro tour, um, doing so well there, and then now being a coach, which is great. How we can talk about the dual uh, lives, and um, yeah, I just want to thank you, Ante, for coming on to the show. And uh, how are you doing?
2: Thank you, Mervin. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, Everything is great, you know, like uh, doing great. Uh... It's a, it's a, you know, interesting life now after, after playing a professional tour, transferring to the coaching and uh, and also the family. You know, like I have a, I have a little kid at home, so that also like yeah. make, you know, makes a different, different dynamics in the life as well. You know, out of the court, as, especially, right? So, so yeah, everything is great. Uh, you know, every day is a uh, is a learning curve uh, in a coaching, uh, you know, career and. Uh, uh, being a father career, you know, so, so that's, uh, that's my current situation.
0: That's right, Auntie. let, let's see, which one is harder career for you? Uh, tennis career or the father career? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question.
2: Well, for sure, tennis career is a little bit tougher because you know, my, my kid is now 22 months old, you know, I have a daughter, so, so for, you know, for now, besides, you know, some, some S- sleepless nights, you know, and uh, or or you know, just like four or five hours of sleep nights, uh, it's pretty easy, you know. But everybody says, you know, as they grow, it's getting tougher and tougher, right? So, yeah. so uh, yeah, tennis career, I wouldn't say it's tougher, but like you know, definitely more challenges uh, than than raising, you know, like a kid in the first two years of their life.
0: Yeah, for sure, auntie. Uh, have you surrounded your daughter with like a uh, tennis stuff yet, like around the crib and all that? <laughs>
2: Of course, of course. You know, she has a little, <laughs> she has a little racket already for at least a year. Uh, now she's reaching for you know bigger rackets and uh, stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, tennis balls, stuff like that for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah awesome, Ante. You know, I usually go chronologically, but um, I'll kind of switch it up a bit. So, how was the transition for you um, going to coaching? Um, was it was it tough? I mean, did you were you out there at all, um, or even now, like you're teaching and you just feel like I just want to like rip a, a servant and volley, you know, or, you know, is there any feelings uh, like?
2: It's really, it really depends on who you're working with, you know, and um, I would say like my first uh, students were pretty much like pre-college level juniors. So, so I felt like very confident I can help them with a certain yeah. you know, tactical points, uh, with a certain mental points and stuff like that. Um, then later on, I experienced, you know, teaching some younger kids and, uh, and uh, you know, like, um where you have to be a little bit more technical, obviously, so that's always a little bit tricky because you you know you as a young coach you don't really know exactly how much uh in the detail you should go right um, yeah technique in my in my opinion is very you know it's very kind of like a, um it's a topic to discuss really you know and like I feel like some coaches are extremely technical. Mm-hmm. Which is probably not the best in my opinion, and then some coaches are not technical at all, which is also not good you know so I think finding that balance mm-hmm. is uh for a young coach really uh you know challenging in a way because because um, also you, you 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 know you don't have much experience besides your own experience as a player um so so yeah that that part uh, is definitely you know learning curve uh for young younger coaches i'm talking my in my name right now um but you know from the point of view where you're trying to develop the, some kind of tactical um, uh points and uh and uh the way how you know finding their identity as a player's um mental part, I think uh that was you know i don't want to say easy but you know pretty easy to to actually you know to to transfer my knowledge you know so um so yeah. Yeah, from that point of view, I would say, uh, from the technical part, there's still for sure room for improvement. Um, uh, I mean, there's always room for improvement, but you know, I would say like a technique, technique is always like, you know, the part where you, where I like to also discuss, you know, certain things with other coaches or my parent, my father, you know, in this case, he's like coaching for the last 50 years or so. So, um, or some ex coaches that I'm in a, in a, in a, you know, very good relationship with. So I'm, you know talking to them on a weekly basis and stuff like that so i always like to hear second opinion about certain things and uh and uh before i make certain changes or tweaks and stuff like that.
0: yeah it's a very interesting world coaching and um yeah for for us amateurs it's definitely uh we've developed these uh techniques that are a little bit flawed one way or another and then it takes so much time to to learn but like you said you know it's very individual uh individualistic you know with each student like some people learn better differently than others. And some need more technique for their goals, other need more strategy. And, uh, and yeah, and also with the technique spectrum, like you said, um, yeah, I, you know, I know a couple coaches There's one who I really like, but he's like, he's basically like, yeah, techniques, it's like, whatever, it's all should be natural. And like, he doesn't even like teaching technique, but then there's others who are, give too much technical advice, and then you get overwhelmed. So um, yeah, it sounds like you're definitely well on your way to you know, becoming a great coach uh, ante um so yeah this, you know, um, if i could, if I could yeah. just say one thing you know the,
2: the one thing that is really interesting to me like since i grew up obviously and, and been living in europe in croatia particularly for all my life i'm been living in the states now for the last four years and uh and the certain things are really amazed me you know like to to the point where technique is like um A lot of coaches I would say here are like very into the technique, you know? Mm. Um, and, you know, I have my opinion about it. I don't want to say that I'm right or wrong, but like, I think, I think it's too much. I think generally it's too much. And like, I think a lot of juniors here are following certain, um, certain standards that are very, you know, very, uh, particular for, for American way of coaching. And mm. honestly, I don't see it, uh, I don't see it generally, I don't see it uh, as a very beneficial for their development, you know, because I feel like a lot of kids are, are, you know, overthinking, f- focusing only on certain mechanical details, and then, like, oh, yeah. uh yeah. They're, they're, you can tell, like, they're just not, they're not playing tennis, they're not enjoying playing tennis, it's like, it's, all, all they do is, like, they, you know, repeating the shadow swings, and uh, they keep looking at their racket at where uh, you know in where where they are in uh, where is the racket in the backswing where is the record at the contact point where is the follow through going where is the finished ending and stuff like that and you know i i was really amazed uh, you know compared to where i grew up and uh, also like not just croatia croatia but i've been you know practicing in germany in italy in uh, uh, in spain a little bit and stuff like that uh, so all that experience that i went through as a junior i found it not completely, but very different um, um, in many, you know, occasions here in States. So, um, you know, very, very interesting stuff. Very interesting topic to talk about.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, throughout your career, did you have to make any big technical changes? I'm curious, like, if you did in any particular stroke or anything.
2: Um, I mean, besides when I was very little, you know, like uh, changing the forehand grip from basically, you know, continental or whatever like this. <laughs> You know, strong, right. uh, strong Eastern to towards the semi Western. You know, I don't remember changing much. There was so, when I was, uh, when I ended, when I ended the junior career, I was like 18 years old and I, I was practicing in Germany for a couple of years. And then um, the coach wanted to change my, um, my right hand grip. So my uh, non dominant arm on the back side, right? Uh-huh. I'm right handed. So uh, I kind of had it like, a, um more like a eastern forehand versus continental right so he wanted mm-hmm. to kind of like to bring it more towards the continental even a little bit over so that was like a minor change i would say you know like it was very little but besides that uh, i never really experienced you know like uh major major changes you know
0: mm, wow and nothing to the serve either that you can uh, serve,
2: on the serve on the serve actually i well i, I wouldn't call the major but I definitely mm. when i started mm. my professional career Um, I realized after maybe two or three years, I realized that I, that if, if I don't bring the serve to another level or to the higher level, they're like, I'm going to have very difficult, difficult time playing, uh, successfully professional tennis. So, so in a way I, I decided to change the serve. Um, again, I would call them a minor changes, but Mm -hmm. I, I decided to change certain things, um, with my coach and it kind of came from me you know mm-hmm. like it didn't really came you know from his incentive he was like really i i told him like look now i've been like you know at this at that point i think i was three or four years on the tour and um i had this something funky like uh, i was changing my grip actually as i was going into the into the into the back swing towards the towards the traffic position mm-hmm. it's just like i think it was like a, always like uh switch the grip a little bit kind of regrip the racket you know
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and then I, I felt like that's actually throwing my my uh, my serve a little bit off because I, I felt like I'm, I'm never accelerating as much as I should have. Um, so I kind of made a little change to the point where I would just like, you know, pick the grip from the beginning and keep it all the way until I hit the ball. And then um, another thing was kind of the rhythm of the serve. You know, I, I did change mm-hmm. the rhythm pretty much quite a lot, I would say, like when I was 21, 22. I used to toss the ball much higher uh up to that point, and then I decided to kind of like you know toss the ball shorter, have a more compact swing without waiting for the ball too much um so that that change uh again I would call it a minor change, nothing like crazy where I had to you know overthink stuff, but it did take probably let's say you know three to six months to to become yeah, like a you know to become like a standard serve you know like to become very compact so um but like after those six months, I would say maybe it was a little bit more like the master really, you know, really became like a much more consistent, much more dangerous overall, you know, faster and, uh, and, um, and, uh, more accurate as well.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I'll say, yeah, great to hear. And, and I'm really glad that you said that it took like upwards, like around six months, you know, to change. And I'm curious, cause it's so hard for, you know, even like somebody like myself, I play like a ton of like USC league matches, things like that, or people play tournaments and whatnot. So um, how were you able to change your technique? Like even something like that is tough and took a while. Like, were you still playing, uh, you know, a lot of tournaments and then you were changing the technique at the same time? That's that's
2: tough. Um, I would say like that. I didn't really miss many tournaments, maybe wow. the first couple months maybe couple or something but it was not like a, one of those changes where i kind of had to you know shut shut off everything and, and yeah. kind of cut down everything and just like focus on the technique it was more uh figuring it out in the practice weeks and then trying to put it all together in the in the tournament weeks right and then you know i was ready obviously to to because the in my case i knew okay it cannot it cannot get much worse so mm-hmm. so with the current level of the serve that i had i knew okay like i could still make some you know some results which are going to keep my ranking uh you know alive uh but then i kind of felt like okay the time is going to come where where i'm going to you know uh find the rhythm and find a find a different feel which i believed that is going to make my serve better and then of course uh, as a consequence is going to make my whole game better right so um so again i think it's you know in my in my situation which is very specific you know it was it didn't require anything crazy like surgical it mm-hmm. was more like okay like working on certain details week in week out trying to put it all together in the in the tournaments <laughs> obviously in the beginning it was probably not successful but then you know i always right. felt like there's a little bit of the improvement
1: uh mm-hmm.
2: from each week you know and. um and then uh, on the end, you know, it clicked together. You know, um, again, I, I forgot now. It was like five, six, seven months, but I would say around that range.
0: So. Very nice, Sante. Yeah, because um, you know, thinking about some changes I made to my serve, and maybe like you said, they're a little more um, you know, surgical or more extreme. But like you know, in the first, like maybe most of the first set, you know, I say, okay, yes, I'm doing the new one. It's great, and then like you get to, like, you know, 6-all or something, and then you say, oh, it's like going back to the old one. So did you ever experience that in the beginning? Like, you, at first, your rhythm was good, but then all of a sudden you went back to the the old rhythm, and then you had to, had to like, mentally, like, reset or something like that?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's especially in the practice, it's always easier to implement, you know, yeah. certain things. And usually, you know, like, it feels good, and, like, uh, there's certain little details that you notice, you know, like, uh, it can be anything from uh how you know how stiff you're holding your racket or how soft you're holding your grip to the you know to the point that you're feeling your wrists working a little bit better or uh or your legs pushing more or stuff like that and then you know normally then in the matches that always kind of like levels out you know and it kind of goes back to the to the basics you know so, uh, you kind of learn that, okay, like you shouldn't get too excited if certain things go well immediately because, <laughs> because there's going to be like a, you know, adjustment, um, in, in, a, in, a, in the a upcoming weeks, you know, so especially in the tournament weeks. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like, okay, like you, in my case, like I knew like, okay, like I knew there's going to, it's going to take some time, but I knew it cannot get worse, you know, yeah. and I knew like I, it has to get better and I have to make the change. In order to, you know, because at the time I was like, I would say like five, six hundred in the world. Hmm. And, you know, that's still like a futures level and you're really not, you're really not making any money. You're really not uh, gaining anything out of your tennis career, you know. So I felt like I really have to get to the point where, where I can, you know. Be more dangerous, and I can rely on my serve more because obviously my my uh, physical characteristics were like that, right? I was I'm six five, I'm yeah. you know two two hundred twenty pounds, and uh, like obviously if the serve is not working well, you know it's it becoming much tougher to to play successful on a, in the professional you know in a professional tennis. So so yeah, that's it. You know, like I knew okay, like it's gonna take some time, but I felt that it works well when it's there. You know. He's just like on the, for the first couple of months or whatever he was, like he was not there all the time, you know. So, um, so yeah, that was my, that was the, uh, that was my case.
0: Cool. Awesome, Ante. And um, yeah, you know, as more, I mentioned, sorry, before, one more thing I wanted oh, to say is yeah. like,
2: on the recreational level is always a little bit different, right? Because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, the, it's that experience, I guess, and the fluidity, natural fluidity is not there as, as it is in the, in the you know, in the professional tennis. So, you know, so it's kind of like I think you guys are probably overthinking way more than than the professional play, players do, you know. So, um, so it's kind of like, uh, I think, you know, coaching recreational people and like making them understand, look, you know, you got to trust the process, you got to stick with it, don't change as soon mm-hmm. as something goes wrong. It's that's a little bit more challenging, I would say, you know. So, so, um, yeah, you know, it's always kind of that mental, mental, um, perspective is always very important, uh, when you, when it comes to, you know, to changing certain things.
0: Yeah. hundred percent auntie. they? definitely very wise words there. Um, it's interesting. It's, you know, it sounded and, and I listened to, um, you know, your, uh, interview with our mutual friend, um, Devor from tennis house. Everybody should definitely check out his stuff. A great guy. Um. I heard on there, I believe it's your dad um was was he, he played and coached handball or was he just coaching? I'm trying to remember. Uh the uh
2: he did play as a junior, but he never played okay. uh, yeah, he never played professionally. Yeah. He right. was it was gotcha. completely different times back in the day. You know, I'm coming from Croatia. Oh. Croatia used to be part of Yugoslavia and uh you know going professionally back in you know in 70s or whatever was almost impossible right so Hmm. uh so he kind of like early on in his his junior career he decided to you know to and he played also other sports you know he was kind of like at those old times where you played not only tennis but he played uh, tennis was his main sport but he also played handball and uh you know handball is pretty big in europe and uh not 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 so big in, in america um he played soccer obviously and you know other sports too so he was very you know very all-around uh, athlete you know so uh so then he decided to pretty much you know start coaching and and uh work for the club in, in our hometown
0: very cool very cool yeah i was just curious you know handball is a pretty pretty interesting sport you know i've seen it you know on youtube a bit and uh i don't know if you played but i was curious if there's any like parallels or similarities between Handball and tennis, you know, seems like the hand and eye coordination obviously is very important. And you got the throwing, which is somewhat similar to the serve, although it's in different plane, maybe. But yeah, I was curious if you had any similarities that you, you think between the two.
2: I uh, wouldn't, uh, that's a good question. Like, I never actually, you know, discussed that topic. Um, not really, you know, because throwing is kind of like obviously, you know, like you're jumping and you're throwing forwards or downwards. Yeah. Um, right. So obviously, okay, throwing as a throwing, generally there is some similarities, obviously with the serve, right? Uh, but but uh, I wouldn't call it, you know, that there's too many similarities. Besides, obviously, you know, most athletes, uh, you know, that that play certain sports for a long time, they, you know, they do become more athletic, more, you know, better movers and stuff, and then for sure that helps uh, with the other sports. You know, if they decide to play recreational tennis. Probably they're going to have advantage, right, uh, compared to uh, recreational player who didn't really, yeah, you know, please. train much other sports, right? So, uh, so athletic abilities for sure are, you know, making uh, making an impact. But in terms of comparing, you know, the tennis with technical part and stuff, like it's, the, I wouldn't call, you know, I wouldn't say there's many similarities there.
1: Uh, yeah, badminton
2: no, is, no, is actually from technical point of view, as as far as I understand it, it's very simple you know there's not much technique there besides you know catching the ball passing the ball and and shooting right uh throwing it with, which you know shooting into the goal uh there is certain techniques of course within within those uh within those simple techniques but uh it's obviously less complex than tennis i would say you know
0: so. yeah yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, yeah, just curious. It's a it's pretty cool sport. I've, I've watched a little bit of it. Um, and uh, actually, one of my favorite podcasters, Lewis Howes, he like pretty much got on like the USA Olympic team or very close to that. But um, yeah, so, it, you know, one question that I'm, I'm always curious about with, with um, you know, a professional um, tennis player guest is, You know, obviously, like your career is full of ups and downs and trials and tribulations. I was wondering if there's a particular, you know, low low point and sorry to remind you of it, but any particular low point in your career where, you know, maybe even thought like you were close to to quitting um, the tour um, and then you decided, no, I'm going to keep going. And I just wonder if you could like maybe talk through like how that was how you felt and what you did to uh, get back up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure, there was a lot of, you know, ups and downs. And, uh, I always felt like I, I don't think I ever hit the point where, you know, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm taking like, you know, months off or whatever, like anything like that. But of course, disappointment to the point where you're really questioning a lot of things was definitely there, you know, and, um, it's, uh, I think it's all really how much, you know, I was really into tennis all my life. Right, since the early age, tennis was always my number one sport. Even though I played a lot of soccer, for example, you mm-hmm. know, like soccer, I loved soccer. You know, soccer was my soccer was my hobby sport, but I never really, I never really practice practiced it. You know, like uh, um, seriously, yeah, yeah. right? I never, I was never part of the club, and you know, I was never playing for this club and stuff like that. So I think you know, since in my case, tennis was like number one thing since very um, early age and obviously watching a lot of tennis, you know, back in the day Sampras, uh, Ivan Isevich, uh, these guys, you know, they were my idols. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, they always stayed with me, you know, so so kind of like I remember watching Sampras winning all these Wimbledons and stuff, and I, I remember thinking, okay, like I would really like to experience playing Wimbledon, you know. That was kind of like uh, probably, you know, the thought I had since I was 12 or whatever, 13, 14, I don't know. You know, 2001, Ivan won Wimbledon. Uh, that was like crazy. Crazy. Sorry. crazy. You know, I was, at the time I was um, 12 years old. So, mm. you know, so so it's kind of like, um, um, I guess that was always my dream and and I always kept following it. You know, I did think about a college, for example, a little bit when I was in high school. Mm. But, you know, at the time, there was like 2006, 2007. I, at the time, the mentality in Europe was... Uh, if you go to college you're pretty much done with the professional tennis you know mm. that was kind of the that was pretty much the mentality back in the day so i was never really you know fully into it and uh then i just after high school i pretty much naturally transferred playing you know futures and stuff and uh, with the idea okay i really want to go to the challengers as quick as possible and then uh catch the you know drain slams and uh play the qualities of slams and stuff like that so it, it you know, I my first slam was in 2014, I was 20, uh, 2014, so I was 25 years old, uh, about to turn 25, so it, it took good, time. I mean, let's say if I started playing fully when I was 19, I already played some futures when I was 18, obviously, but you know, my first year fully was 19 years old, so that means it took four to five years to get to that level where where you're close to playing slams or, or you know, close to making any money, right? So it was no even more five to six years, right? So in those years, going to the futures, uh, you know, obviously, financial part was always an issue as well. I couldn't travel much with the, you know, with the coaches and stuff. I, I was, you know, finding the way to to um, to to save as much money as possible. And then, you know, there is a lot of times where you find yourself, but you know, alone in the in the in the hotel room after some bad, bad, you know, losses or, or terrible performances. And you are definitely going through some tough times mentally. Right. So, but on the other hand, you know, there was also probably, you know, that was also probably the way to push me to work harder and get better. And, and I did feel like have the level and I can play on a, you know, uh, let's say top 200 level or something like that. I just need to find it and I need, I need more time, you know? So, so from that perspective, I was always, uh, you know, n- I never really experienced like a really bad uh, mental state where I wanted to quit. You
0: know? Good, yeah. good. Um, yeah, I'm very happy <laughs> about that because that can be really tough. But yeah, um, but it can also, you know, uh, make you stronger too. At the same time, um, I'm wondering if you can, if you could go back, Ante, and then give your, you know, your go back to when you were like early on the pro tour. To your former self um and then give them like one piece of ad- advice uh what advice would you would you give uh younger ante
2: uh <laughs> that's a good question i mean it's always easy to you know to go back and be be wise <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, <I> <laughs> um uh, it's phew, that's a good question i'll like you know I have to take a second to think about um I mean, I would definitely, you know, I would definitely tell myself, obviously, to, you know, cause there was that mental part of the game where, where I felt like, uh, that I wasn't really, you know, fully mature and ready to, you know, to, to, to fight against, you know, certain expectations and, uh, that you put as a player on yourself. Right. Um, so now looking back, I would probably tell myself to, to, those first four years, you know, between after junior career to go to college, you know, because I maybe you know is that part, but um, but now looking back, I think you know those four years would probably put a little bit less expectations on myself and would make me obviously more mature. Uh, I don't know would it, would it, would it, would it make me mature as much as uh, the professional tennis did but um you know kind of uh, basically i would allow myself like 3 to 4 years just to get more mature more mentally stable understand you know how the how to deal with the expectations and the pressure and uh and uh, enjoy the tennis more you know so that would be that would be like uh one thing the other thing would be uh f- you know whatever you feel from the technical and tactical point of view um um say it out loud you know say to your coach Mm. say to your coach immediately because you know now when i'm looking from the coach perspective you you just cannot you don't know you know what the the player really thinks you know what i mean you see certain things um from from outside but i think the coaches should ask a lot of questions and and really get that feedback from the player uh certain you know things, certain, is it like technical, tactical um, um, details that you're trying to, to, to work on as a coach. And really, you know, I felt like I, I only started to say to say the things out loud when I was maybe 22, 23, you know. So I would, mm. I would keep certain things to myself. I knew that there are certain things that are bothering me and like I'm not uh, feeling good, but I wouldn't really, you know, express them like that much, you know, early on. So, so yeah, that would be another thing, you know, just express yourself immediately, whatever you feel, you know, is it technical, tactical, is it something stupid mental, you know, like, uh, I don't like when uh, my father is watching me or I don't like when my friend is watching me or, you know, like anything that is bothering you, just express it, say it out loud, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really great <laughs> advice and kind of speaking about the mental side, you know, you mentioned that, um, you know, your your dream when you were uh, 12 years old watching uh goran play uh Wimbledon was to play Wimbledon and it was incredible um you know obviously first you you made the french open main draw but then you made the Wimbledon main draw and you um you know you got to the second round like that was pretty amazing um i guess what was the feeling and i'm wondering too like was it did you have more of an overwhelm when you played the qualies or when you played like the main draw i just wondering like overall like um yeah your feelings on 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 the Wimbledon experience and, like, after mm. thinking about the dream that you had.
2: Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, the French Open in, the, in 2014 was really, you know, a huge thing t- for me. Yeah. And um, I qualified. I played pretty good in the qualies. Uh Last round of the I played against Kokinakis. He was at a top yeah. 18 years old, but, you know, playing really good. Yeah. And, um, and that was probably one of my best matches on clay ever, you know, like a great match to qualify. Um, and then uh, I played uh, Simon in the first round Tough on the, on, a big, on a big court on the Suzanne Le Glen, you know, which was like nothing I experienced until that point, you know, stadium court, like a lot of people watching and stuff. Yeah. And uh, the conditions were not that great for my game that day. Uh, you know, the weather was pretty cold and uh, courts were wet because of the rain and stuff like that. But more than that, like I really I really was not there, you know, like I was not relaxed, I was not playing, mm. enjoying the match as much as I should have, right? Uh which, you yeah. know, in a way, in a way it's understandable because it's a first time first a experience. Yeah. So so that match was pretty bad, especially for first two sets. I think it was like 6-1, six, 6-1. One, six, one. There was no tennis, mm. basically, right? Like so many mistakes. So, yeah. you know, I was rushing just too much, and uh yeah. and uh, you know, with somebody like Simone back in the day, he was like, I don't know, like 13 in a row or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was like a self-destructive tennis, you know, and then third <laughs> set, yeah, th- third set was much better. And obviously, I don't know, I think it was 6-3 and uh, yeah. man- managed to re- relax a little bit and play up to the level where I could. Hmm. And then a month later when I called for Wimbledon, that experience actually meant a lot because uh, because I found a way to really get on the court and I didn't play on a huge stadium uh, as I did in a, in a French Open. Uh, but still, you know, main draw is the main draw and uh, being only second main draw in my career is still, of course, you, you, you know, you do feel certain, you know, uh, excitement and, uh, and uh, yeah. and the nervousness and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um but, but I really got out there and I managed to, to, you know, just, just play my tennis from the beginning to the end. And, and I, it happened that it was my best, you know, the best match of my life. Beating Faya in uh, in mm-hmm. the straight sets. And uh yeah. Alejandro Faya at the time was you know was really tricky player, playing really well on grass. And um and I think like just a week before he lost to Federer in the finals of Halle, like 76-76. Wow. So obviously, yeah. you know, it was a very tough draw, but like probably you know, knowing okay, like I have nothing to lose, I just gotta get out there play playing my best tennis, and having that experience of French Open helped a lot, and um it was a great match won in straight sets um and uh, then later on lost to Feliciano Lopez in the second round tough still yeah, still a like decent, yeah yeah, yeah 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 still a very decent match but uh, you know just much more experienced player on the other side and the and uh score was kind of close but uh you know on the other side it was very <laughs> straightforward match you know so so yeah there was the, my wimbledon experience
0: Yeah, pretty wicked. Yeah, I I saw that. I was looking up the draws, you know, which was pretty cool to see. Like back then, and uh, yeah, Lopez was like nineteenth seed, and yeah, great player. (laughs) uh, Tricky, Mm. I think lefty. But he um, he
2: he came into that tournament. I remember that he came into that tournament uh, after winning both grass court, you know, tournaments. I think it was uh, 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 maybe I'm. It was probably Queens and Eastbourne. I think there's Eastbourne Mm. after Queens. So you know, back to back, he won those two. Uh, yeah. and then, and then he came into the Wimbledon, obviously with winning already two tournaments, which was, That's you know, obviously, which, which was, um, obviously really tough draw, but on the other side, okay, he had a lot of matches, you know, a lot of matches week after week. So maybe, you know, he wasn't as fresh, uh, but I believe he beat, uh, I know actually that he beat Isner the next round. Oof. Uh, and then he lost, who did he lose to? I think he lost in a, in a fourth round, round of 16. Um and, but, you know, a couple of weeks later, I saw Isner at the, at the ATP tournament in Newport, Rhode Island. Mm. And uh, it was very, it was very interesting because, you know, I knew him a little bit. I didn't know him very well. Right. But he came to me and he was like, uh, he asked me something about, you know, Feliciano's game. He was like, man, like, I couldn't, I couldn't read his server or something, you know, like, uh, like, how, how was your experience? And I was like, yeah, it was the same. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, was, yeah, that was very interesting because, uh, you know, John was already like at that time, like, you know, pretty much standard top 20, top 30 players. So, yeah. so it was, it was cool to see that he approached me at, at the Newport tournament and then just like wanted to, chat about Feliciano Lopez game, you know, because we lost, yeah. both lost to to him in the Wimbledon. Yeah. Tough. So, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's, that's really so, cool, man. For, you yeah. know, forming the friendships and stuff, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so going back to the French open, actually the qualifying and, and again, you know, I, I heard you and Devor talking about it and it was nice actually to hear that Kokonakis was cool about, you know, he approached you and stuff. Um, but obviously before that, um, you know, I'm curious. Uh, you know, this is your chance to make your first main draw, Grand Slam, and you saved a match point. And I'm just wondering like the mentality. Did you ever have a thought of like something like, you know, this is my chance, there's no way I'm gonna lose the match? Or did you get did you ever get like super nervous? Like mm-hmm. by the same thoughts too, like, oh my god, like, you know, I'm so close. Like, mm-hmm. what was the feeling in that that match that you almost lost?
2: Uh well, so so that, exp- you know, those thoughts of, of, uh, you know, and those, n- that nervous part where you really close to mm-hmm. qualify for some particular tournament that it's in mm-hmm. your eyes big. Because it, on the end of the day, it all, all comes to how, how do you perceive things yourself? Yeah. You know, because some players just like show up for first time in their life, they qualify and they make like a quarterfinals or something. You know, it's like for <laughs> yeah. them, you know what I mean? It's just right. like, that's the, I guess, natural part of of uh having you know the mental stability probably it comes to the natural it's kind of like an you know natural to a certain extent and then of course it's also like working on the mental right. stuff as well it's not just natural right i mean Nolak sure. made a great com- comment like a lot was it last year when he said like yeah it's like you know the my mental toughness doesn't really come from you know from just nature it's like i'm working on it constantly yeah. right yeah so in my in my in my case, I remember when I played first time um uh last round of qualies on uh on an ATP tour level. It was ATP 250 um in Chennai in India, and I was only I was only 20 years old, I believe. So you know the standard for me at that time was like a futures, pretty much. You know, even challengers were not standard thing for me. So now I found myself in the last round of qualies in uh in um in the uh, ATP tournament and I and you know like going into that match I'm like wow I'm you know only one match from actually playing ATP tour tournament yeah. you know which which obviously was at the time was big for me and uh and I played uh Kudyavtsev the Russian guy who was very good player a uh, little bit crazy you know had a lot of ups and downs but when he found his level he was like really tough to beat so mm-hmm. I lost easily first set and then in the second set, I broke him very early and the guy went nuts and like basically, <laughs> basically tanked the second set. Right. Oh, so, wow. so now I'm, I remember exactly. I mean, I remember like it was yesterday, like we sit down, it's a set all. And I remember in my, in my head, I'm thinking like, wow, I'm only one set away from, you know, qualifying for mm-hmm. ATP term. And like, I think he took a toilet break or something. So that, you know, gave me extra time, yeah. gave me extra time to have like those ridiculous thoughts. Yeah. And, uh, and like basically those thoughts just like, completely shut me you know shut me down you know like just, i came on yeah. the court and i i got you know i just i became like I, blocked i became blocked yeah. on the court and like my tennis was not you know fluent anymore i started making double floats whatever you know like a lot of mistakes stuff like that and okay. the third set went away like in within 15 20 minutes it was like six one or six two yeah. um so I went through a couple of those kind of experiences when I was maybe 20 or 21 and stuff like that. I had a very similar uh, uh, experience one more time, probably two years later in uh, in my hometown, playing in mm-hmm. front of the home crowd, also being wow. in the last round of qualities, you know, fighting for qualifying for first time in my life for the ATP Tour event. And I was break up in the third set yeah. and and I choked and I lost the match, right? so that was that was probably you know going back to the beginning of this conversation that was probably my lowest point where i remember like i Mm. was probably for three days i didn't get out of my bedroom i was literally Ah, just like you know just like just you know depressed you know and uh, uh, so going through all these experiences you know helped me at that point when i played kokinakis to basically not really think about those stuff you know nice Uh, yeah yeah not not easy though (laughs) <laughs> I, not easy but like you know in my case in my case it was uh, obviously I was working certain you know on certain techniques and uh, with a, with a couple mental trainers um, mm. one of them really helped me I would say you know to the certain point but more than that I believe like you really have to experience you know those situations yeah. over and over Best again <laughs> because yeah because like I mean you know no no breathing exercises no uh <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no techniques to stay in the present are gonna, are gonna make you to really stay in the present until you don't go through the certain things for, you know, certain amount of times, right? Totally. So, uh, so in that particular situation when I played Kokinakis, I remember that I, I actually remember that I, uh, when I broke him at five all in the third set and I, I was serving for the match at six five, I remember getting out of the, the chair, walking towards the baseline. And doing like a skips, doing like a high knees or something like that. Just like being mm. super confident, super pumped, believing in my, you know, in my, in my, my game, my serve, that I can close this match. And um, nice. I actually, I actually hit an ace on the second serve on forty fifteen. Slice was, uh, or
0: what was
2: it? Forty fifteen, second serve, and uh, he, he, you know, he same as today. He likes to move around on the second serve and hit the forehand. Right, forehand, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I kind of like, I kind of predicted that's going to happen, and I, I told myself, okay, just go slider out wide aggressively, yeah. and I hit like a you know clean clean ace, you know on the line. I believe just like he you know he moved a little bit to, towards the back inside mm-hmm. to to open up his forehand, just hit an ace out wide, and the interesting thing at the time uh, Patrick Moratoglu was watching that match because because uh, mm. because I was working with Italian coach uh, Luca Pino at the time. Uh, Hmm. Who was who used to work for uh Patrick's Academy in Paris back in the day? Patrick had an academy in uh, in Paris. Yeah. And um and um then you know they stayed in a good relationship and uh and Pat- Patrick, I don't know, I forgot who was he coaching. Maybe he was coaching Serena already back in the, back in the day. He was there and he saw the that third set or end, end of the third set. He came to me after the after the match and he said uh he said, man, like to qualify first time for a slam with the, with the ace and the second serve. That's, <laughs> that's something. <laughs> and and it's not that it he was like five zero in the third set. He was like six, five and you know what I mean? Like serving for the next. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was, you know that was, that was that was cool experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that's pretty sick, man. That's, that's yeah. so awesome. <clears throat> I'm wondering, you know, obviously this podcast is to help players improve their game and already tons of stuff. Like I, I think that we brought up, you brought up, but, um, I'm wondering about like uh, your routines. Did you have any particular routines like be- pre-match like would you always do like x y and z before every match or anything like that?
2: Uh yes and no. I mean it was nothing like crazy, you know, that it was like super structured and like uh-huh. uh, you know, like uh very particular, but like I I I did like to, you know, in terms of the warm up, I I you know, I preferred to hit like probably as close as possible to the match uh so that i'm not like waiting for two three hours without any hit and then you know just yeah. going into the court straight uh obviously sometimes that was not possible so in those in those situations i would just make sure i'm really physically warmed up i really want like you know because i was like a, i was like a big guy i was heavy guy but even even you know even i would say even for the players that are not big and heavy like uh i think you know, you have certain players that are just slow starters. I was yeah. one of those I was one of those. So I did understand mm-hmm. that I really need to warm up to the point where I'm sweating. You know, not just warm up and feel like, okay, I'm warmed, but warm up to the point where I'm sweating where I feel loose and I, you know, I can get out there and use those five minutes uh in the match warm-up to 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 get in the groove, you know. Um so that was that was probably the most important thing uh in my case. Uh the other things, you know, I would like to like night before the match I would like to even write down certain things uh mm-hmm. about how how I want to play uh, my match tomorrow according to the opponent that I'm playing against and um and then also like obviously write down certain things uh um about you know warm up and when I want to have a, have a meal and according to the you know where the match is played is it in the morning is it not in, in the afternoon nice. So I kind of like, I just, what I liked, I was not doing that all the time, but I found it very helpful at one point of my career because I I was, you know, as you write things down, you kind of like visualize, um, you know, if you write things down or how you want to play the match tomorrow, you basically visualize yourself already doing those stuff, right? Yeah. You know, so in my, in yeah. my, in my case, it was like, okay, like, how, how do I want to play on my service games? What do I want to do with the first ball after serve? You know, mm. uh, what is opponent's worst return? You know, how I'm going to expose his weaknesses uh, when I'm yeah. serving and, uh, and how I'm going to, you know, bring my, my strengths to the, to the highest possible level. Uh What I want to, you know, first ball after serve, extremely important. How much do I want to play serve and volley? I was, I was, you know, I like to play serve and volley. Yeah. I was, I was not like a serve and volleyer full time, but I like to throw in serve and volley once or twice a game, you know. So uh then, same thing for the return games. What do I want to do on my return games? How do I want to, when I'm aggressive, you know, what do I want to do with my split step? Uh, how committed I want to be to the returns? And then in certain instances. When do I want to go deep and return from the deep position? Because, you know, against the different Mm -hmm. players, you have to adjust differently, right? Some players like to pick up the balls quick. Some players don't like when they're rushed, right? Some players don't like when you play high and heavy, you know, so, so really, Mm -hmm. really kind of analyzing all the stuff and like writing it down. And I found it helpful to the point where, um, where it just like, you know, makes you kind of visualize stuff and makes you put a little bit more focus on it. And, uh becomes like clear idea okay like how and what what do you want to do uh on the court you know tomorrow when you step on you know on that you know on the court for that match so yeah Yeah. these these are you know a couple things that i would that i would um highlight you know like there probably could be some more stuff um for example eating before the match i i wanted at least three hours of the break of no food Yeah, even even more sometimes you know even more like even four hours. I just felt Mm -hmm. better when I was more, you know, almost hungry in a way, you know, so then like you Uh take a banana, you take a banana or something and you, you eat a couple of bites of banana in the, in the changeovers. I never liked when I felt like my stomach being full, you know, so uh, I guess, you know, it's a learning curve as a player where you really, you know, use the early years on tour and the junior years to do, to really get to know your body and, uh, and get to know how, how and when you're playing your best tennis, you know? So, yeah, and-, and then, and then in a combination with, you know, with working with a sports psychologist to, to really get some new ideas to, to get to know you yourself even better. You know, I think it's really important. You know, I wouldn't call it the most important thing, but very important just, just to, you know, the more ideas and, uh, and, um, um tools you have, the more experience you're going to get out of it. And the more you got, you're you going to get to know what really works for you, you know. So um, so that's that's kind of like the, you know, the, my advice to the younger players.
0: Yeah, I really love that. I highly encourage people to, you know, try writing down, um, you know, what they want to do in the match um, the night before, whenever you have time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you reminded me of when I interviewed um, James Blake uh, a mm-hmm. couple of times, actually. Really by nice the way, guy. By, and, the, uh,
2: by the way, one of my favorite players when I was a kid. Like nice. I, I you know, he right. was like, for some reason, I was just like enjoying watching this guy. It was like, you know, I see Roger, he was, you know, he showed up around the same time as Roger, right? So, mm-hmm. but James, man, like that forehand, like, I was, you know, I, I wanted to watch it all day long and I met him actually <laughs> in, a, I met him in a Newport, uh, nice. also Newport, Rhode Island, same tournament that I told you where I talked to John, but I think right. I met him, I met him a couple of years prior to that. And, um uh, and I just talking him like, look, you know, you're my, one of my idols when I was, a kid. <laughs> even though he's not much older than me, but like, you know, just like he was, he was, um, he was cool guy. Yeah. Super cool guy. Um,
1: yeah.
2: So, sorry to interrupt. What, what do you want no, to no, say? No, no, no.
0: No, I love hearing the stories. It's 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 important, and I enjoy mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, no, I was just gonna say, like when I interviewed him, he had mentioned that before every single match, he visualizes uh would visualize how the points would go. So he, mm-hmm. you know, imagine what I would do in this instance, this instance, mm-hmm. and it just like was very powerful for him. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah I'm, yeah, I'm really glad how you'd mentioned the same. You know, it seems like a theme for some. Yeah, for because it.
2: look, on the end of the day, it's it's really uh, you know, like I remember. I remember very interesting conversation with uh, Ivan Ljubicic. you know, mm-hmm. obviously the guy was number three in the world. And, uh, yeah. for the last, what, four or five years of Roger's career was his, was his coach. Yeah. And I remember when he remember exactly the point, uh, he had a, like one charity match in Croatia, uh, with Ivan Izevich. So it was like Ljubicic against Ivan Izevich for the charity. All and right. then a bunch of juniors, uh, which I was at the time the junior were invited to join the event and uh play some doubles with uh you know sponsors or whatever and then we we went for uh for the lunch all together and then on that lunch Goran and uh Ivan you know Ivan Izic and Ljubicic they they were just telling a lot of stories from their career from the tour and stuff like that and uh, a lot of interesting stories obviously you uh, know and uh uh First, I'm going to tell one story. What Ivanisevic said, like that was really interesting to sure. me. He said like that he 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 couldn't, you know, he basically couldn't beat Pete in any of the Grand Slams, right? He did beat him a couple times in, uh, in uh, like you know ATP tournaments, but on the Slams, uh, he never did, I believe, or maybe he did once or something in the early rounds. But mm-hmm. he said like uh, he trained with him once. They did like a practice session on one of the tournaments, and he said like the guy mm-hmm. didn't move. The guy literally didn't move for the whole set. Like he beat him 6-1, he beat him 6-1 in that set and he said like, you know, Pete asked him like a couple of days later, hey, do you want to play train tomorrow? <laughs> I said like, sorry, no. You know, He said, like the, he was just like that. He was just like very economical in the practice, obviously on the mm. tournaments, right? In the practice on the tournaments. It's completely different, right? Than the practicing, yeah, yeah. Uh, practicing for in off season. And he said, you know, zero worries about his game. He just wanted to feel the ball on the court and uh, didn't care if he's going to beat somebody in the practice or not going to beat somebody in the practice, right? Uh, but now going back to Ljubicic, uh, uh, he, remember when he was and uh, you know, connection to what you said about Blake, how he wanted to have like a clear vision of of yeah. how and what he wants to do on the court. Right. Um, very interesting story is when Ljubicic in 2005, uh, Croatia won a Davis Cup. And Ivan beat ridiculous amount of top 10 players that year in the Davis Cup. Mm. And, uh, first, first round, they beat, uh, states, Croatia beat states in, in US, in LA. And mm. first day he beat Roddick. Next mm. day he beat, uh, Brian, Brian Brothers in the doubles. And last Damn. day he beat, he beat Agassi. So imagine, <laughs> I mean, three days in a row, like, you know, so then in, the, in the second round, uh, I think Croatia beat Romania. Which also had like andre pa Andre Pavel, who was like top fifteen and uh, uh, yes. and Victor Hanescu, who was like top thirty, so he, yeah. he won all three matches wow. and then and then in the semifinals uh we played Russia, who at the time had Davidenko number three in the world, and uh usually was number ten or whatever oh, around yeah. ten in the world yeah and ivan's uh biggest problem was usually he just didn't like the mm-hmm. matchup against usually just you know something about his game that he didn't like. So he said he said that for that match he prepared certain tactic, very simple tactic of how he wants to play. Mm. And he decided to stay with that tactic from the first point till the last point, no matter the score. So mm. he said, he said, I lost the first set six two.
0: Still stick with it.
2: It was far away from being close. Yeah. So I lost the six-two. Uh but he said, like, okay, I sat down, I reminded myself, okay, just keep playing, you know, just find a little bit better rhythm, keep playing mm. the same way. If you connect the things well, it's going to come two all, three all, whatever. He finds a way to break him. And then from that point on wow. wins, wins the straight sets, right? So wins three one wow. uh, on the end, right? Cause he was six to down for a set. And, uh, yeah. and that's something wow. that it's very important to, to teach, you know, the juniors and the, and the younger players to, to really find the identity as, uh, of yourself as a player. And of course, according to the player, you play against, you always have to make certain adjustments, but generally you want to trust your game, right? You want to, you want to trust, uh, your identity as a player.
1: Right. And,
2: uh, even if you're losing the set, right? Because just because you lost the set doesn't mean you have to change certain things completely. Right. You probably have to, you know, adjust a little bit here and there, but like the, the base should be most, most of the time the base should be there, you know? So, um, so that was that was like the part when I was listening, and I was like, "Wow, that's really interesting, you know he lost the set six two yeah and and he didn't back up. He just it, like stayed wow. with his idea, stayed with his plan, found his rhythm, found his game, and then like just destroyed the guy on the end, you know, so so yeah. that was that yeah, that was one of the learning curves also like later on for me to really you know kind of understand, okay, like what is really my game where in what kind of game is uh, making my tennis the most successful and how can i how can i implement it you know from the from the first to the last point you know so yeah
0: yeah same thing to what you said you mentioned about the james right so yeah awesome yeah. awesome stuff yeah and i mean like, like you alluded to you know it's very difficult because the natural um uh reaction is like oh i just lost this set like i need to switch something but mm. uh, i think like you said the barometer that you should know use is like what is best for my game what will suit my strengths and weaknesses um because yeah sometimes it's just like maybe you had the perfect game plan but you just didn't execute quite Mm -hmm. as well but maybe the next set you'll execute and then or maybe you know this person can't last forever like how they're playing or something like that Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they'll eventually mess up so yeah yeah just really good stuff there um Mm -hmm. and Uh, Ante, uh, wow! (laughs) It's flying by the interview. I had so much fun uh, speaking with you. But Mm -hmm. uh, in in terms of the financial part of it, you know, this is something that especially players who are on like playing futures all the time, like you don't make the money back from your travels and Mm -hmm. and everything. So I was wondering to to just ask you, like, how how hard was it, you know, for you and just generally speaking, like financially on the tour. Mm -hmm to be able to you know keep up with this lifestyle because a lot of people who aren't in tennis, um maybe they watch a little bit, they don't think about how, mm. how hard it is. Yeah.
2: So you know, living in the States for the last four years, I really understood um how actually tougher it is to break through living in America than in Europe. Mm. Not from not from point of view that the level is uh, you know higher actually Mm -hmm. i think i think the level is higher in europe overall Mm -hmm. in the juniors and the professionals Mm -hmm. but one thing that you have in europe and you don't have in states is the the amount of the tournaments each week so for example so in my in my case for example growing up in croatia uh you know not coming from a wealthy family and having like unlimited budget i was lucky enough that i could pretty much travel driving distance to most of the tournaments
1: nice
2: you know and that was like a huge thing because, you know, if you don't have to fly somewhere, if you don't have to yeah. really, you know, pay, obviously, okay, I was lucky enough that, uh, ex Yugoslavian area is like, you know, the standard economical standard is much, uh, lower than maybe in uh, Germany and France and uh, Italy and stuff like that. So, oh, you yeah. know, the, the hotels and, uh, the, the expenses for, to stay and eat, uh, were much cheaper. Um, yeah. that was, that was like a, you know, that was a, lucky part for me because i i was still able to play quite a lot of futures and challengers as well within let's say three four hundred miles uh, driving distance from croatia you know um growing up in the states that's honestly it's 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 uh i'm i'm shocked how how badly the things are organized here yeah i'm shocked i'm really shocked you know and uh, mm-hmm. it's because you have that rule that it says uh the each country can have only one tournament per week, right? Mm. So now, so now the states are count. You know, states are in in that it's particular rural. They're huge, but they are like country, right? State USA is a is a is oh, a yeah, yeah. is a one country, right? Right, right. So so now you have the same rule applying for the states, which is ridiculous. You have one future in uh, Texas. <laughs> Then maybe next one, next one, next week is another t- future in the Texas, but then there is, you know, week off. Then after two weeks, there is a future in Florida. California. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have a few, you, yes. sh- you really, sh- you really should have one future, one tournament in mm-hmm. Florida at the same week. In the same week, you should have future in mm-hmm. Texas. And in that same week, you should have one future in California right. to make the, th- to make the things realistic. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. And the same thing for the juniors. Exactly the same thing. Like the junior ITF tournaments should be organized the same way. You know, it cannot happen that you have one tournament in Florida and that's it for that week in, uh, and for the whole United States. You know, so now somebody from California or from uh, whatever, Portland, they have to fly on the other side of the country and uh, imagine like, how much money they have to spend on the flights and obviously hotel stay and, and then everything, right? So in Europe that particular thing is way better organized because, you know, sometimes you have in the same week, you have tournament in Croatia, Italy, Austria, Germany, whatever, Czech Republic. And basically those five tournaments are within driving distance, you
1: know? Mm, awesome. So you have
2: five, you have five futures in the same week <laughs> within the driving distance. Uh, at the same time, in the, in the States, you have like only one tournament, whatever it is. <laughs> you know?
0: country, yeah. So
2: Exactly. So, you know, mm. from that point of view, um, From that point of view, it's like, okay, move to Europe, you know (laughs) know what I mean? It's like, because like if, if the USDA doesn't change anything, I don't know if it, if there's no will to change anything or if there is no, just like you cannot work, work against those rules. That could be the Mm -hmm. reason too. Then unfortunately, you know, the, the current situation where we have for last 30 years, pretty much. The best players in the world coming from europe are that you know that same going, yeah. that's going to happen keep that's going to keep going yeah because yeah. it's just like it's very logical you know in europe you have from the junior point of view from the itf point of view when they're 16 17 18 you have five six seven tournaments per week and in the state you have one tournament per week know what i mean so <laughs> and then that same rule keeps going into the professional tennis so uh uh okay that's uh, that's regarding that regarding the financial point of view uh one thing that was good in the states was uh that there was a lot of tournaments were providing housing so i was i was usually playing in states over the summer uh, between june and august mm-hmm. and a lot of futures and challenges were providing housing for the for the main door players so the costs were a little bit less obviously you know you just pay the flights and uh you know stuff like that and you know some some stuff like food and the uh, and, uh, wreck stringing and stuff like that um but you know it's uh it's again it, it all varies from the from i guess from the situation to the situation how much do you really you know have the help from the family and you know how financially strong they are and the uh, um can you find some sponsors uh stuff like that it's it's always it's always like uh you know you always have to find a way you know usually i i never you know in the smaller countries i never had any help from uh from the federation or anything like that it was always my family and and uh you know family friends that uh we always found a way to 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 find a base and uh according to the base that you had like uh make a schedule and and you know and play the play determines according to the budget, the budgets that you have, you know? So, uh, junior, I have to say one thing about the Federation Croatia. The junior career was very well organized. Uh, nice. so, you know, they, they, they did help quite a lot with, uh, you know, with, uh, uh national coaches and, uh, sending, um, paying for certain tournaments, you know, higher rank tournaments in the juniors, paying, uh, the, the, the costs of the flights and, and the travel costs and stuff like that. So, um. So that was good, but then later on, when you become professional, you are you're on your own, you know so so yeah, it's tough to say anything smart in that particular you know uh, uh, for that situation, but uh, on the end of the day, just found find like what's your budget and you know organize the things or, accordingly, yeah, so find a way you know probably the states are better in terms of finding some sponsors or signing, finding some financial mm. help. You know there's way more I, I would say much more money involved uh, uh, than maybe in croatia or some smaller countries in europe but on the other side everything is much more expensive as well right so um, so yeah, yeah. yeah that balance is always tricky to
0: to you know to navigate um, yeah yeah for sure i've going to investigate maybe USC has some agreements with the airlines and hotels or something <laughs> that they have this yeah Uh, i think i I think
2: (laughs) one one thing that would be very helpful from to begin with having more tournaments in you know across the usa in the same way Yeah, closer yeah you you know imagine like if you you know if you're based in texas in dallas and you can play twice a month you can play the futures or junior tournaments Uh, i'm talking about itf tournaments right the the the, you know international tournaments Imagine yeah. you can play twice a month in uh within the Texas, or maybe you know, within Texas and uh um, whatever, nearby, Louis- yeah. Louisiana, yeah, nearby. Yeah. Then obviously everything becomes much more easier. But like if you're living in Texas and for you know, if you want to play 20 tournaments a year, out of those 20 tournaments, 18 times you gotta to fly to Florida, California, and uh whatever, Illinois, then you know, then your budget should be like three times more, probably, right? So
0: yeah, so, definitely making yeah. yeah. Sorry huge to dif- interrupt.
2: Yeah. Yeah, huge difference. Huge difference, you know, and uh and I didn't really get that part until I started living here. Yeah. But then then I when I started living here, I realized like wow, like it's really not easy for the parents of the juniors, you know, that don't have big budgets to to make them play really like a lot of international tournaments. It's just not easy. Yeah. You know? So yeah, on the other side, okay, you guys have u t r america has u t r now being you know huge in the last four three four years, uh so they can play a lot of those tournaments, but they are not giving them opportunities to make their junior ranking better or or e t p ranking better right so so they're good for colleges and stuff like that, but um yeah yeah so uh very very interesting topic, and um you know it would be cool to to find the actual answers why why there's no more tournaments you know across the,
0: across the states i think you should uh be a consultant for usta aren't they? i think <laughs> make some good some good cash like that <laughs>
2: yeah. if they yeah. see if they see this podcast then they can you yeah, know they can reach out to me <laughs>
0: i'll tag so, them man i'll tag them yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so i should make a note for that yeah yeah, yeah. but um Ante, obviously, um, you know, you're doing a lot of coaching right now, which is awesome um, and giving back to the game that, mm-hmm. that you love and, you know, gave back to you as well. So mm-hmm. what are some of the like the biggest glaring, um, I guess, what word to use, deficiencies in players games that you're seeing, particularly if you're working with like amateur players, like what, what, mm-hmm. what types of things are they struggling with right now?
2: Uh, particularly the amateur players?
0: Yeah, if, if you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you do. Know. Oh, um.
2: I you know I lived in, L- in LA until 6 months ago so I I did work much more over there with uh, am- amateur players than what mm-hmm. I'm working now um I would say just you know like making them understand that uh again the tec- technical part is just like one piece of the puzzle right because mm-hmm. I f- I found it very interesting that you know most of them watch a lot of videos of you know uh you know on YouTube of uh, certain experts right. analyzing the strokes and uh you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. uh slow, you know, watching the certain shots and strokes in a in a slow motion and then breaking them down to the you know A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Uh. Right. But then they completely forget about maybe the most important <laughs> mo- most important thing is like the really the footwork, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so most of the time everything starts starts with the footwork.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, which is the base to put you in a in a position to actually execute the the technical part right yeah. so so you know like there was like a couple guys that are that I'm actually still in touch with and very good friends with that i'm you know still making them trying to make them understand like look it's yeah it is like a you know. Certain technical stuff that you have to focus on, but it's on that particular shot, you were just not there with your foot with, with your footwork. Right. right? Your feet, <laughs> and yeah. if you're not there with your footwork, you know, Roger, I always give them the example of Roger Federer. We can all, we can all uh, agree that he's probably the technically the most sound player that ever played tennis. But look, when he played against Rafa Nadal and against Novak Djokovic, not always, but a lot of times he was shanking those forehands and bankhands, right? How many yeah. times did you see? roger shanking the, the strokes yeah it's just because like a lot of times he he was not able to position position himself well being a right. you know perfect balance where he can execute his ideal technique right and then uh you know and then obviously nerves and uh you know all the other stuff that played the role as well because you know it was obvious that he was uncomfortable playing against novak and rafa for most of the time you know Really? Um, I always say, like, you know, he 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 played his best tennis after 2017 and Australian Open, in my opinion. You know, mm-hmm. when he came back and when he beat Rafa uh-huh. in that five-setter. Yeah. To me, he, to me in the 2017, 18 and partially 19, he played the best tennis of his life. You know, mm-hmm. everybody said he was in the prime in 2006, 7, 8, 9, whatever. But, okay, maybe he was, you know, in the prime because there was no Rafa and no, no, like. There yeah. was well, there was competition, but Rafa. Yeah, like, but not that level. Yeah, not on that level, they were you know that they achieved later on, you know. So um so it's you know, it's it's uh the the advice is okay, like you know, like really put the attention on the footwork and how to position yourself as fast as possible. Um as much as you put on a, on the technical part, right? And then yeah. regarding regarding the technical part, of course, there is for sure, especially in the recreational tennis. Uh, or amateur tennis, as you say, like there's a lot of things that are <laughs> obvious that, you know, that are missing. But on the other side, it's also tennis is one of the sports. Uh, the later you start, the tougher it is to, to achieve, you know, fluent and, and, uh, and kind of like natural, you know, technique, right? It's just like, yeah. that's how it is. Unfortunately, that's this, that's why this sport is very, you know, very, very tricky, right? It's like very rarely you can see someone. Who started playing tennis at the age of fifteen or twenty or whatever? That, that is going to be very fluent and very efficient in his moves and uh, and the strokes, right? So, um, so yeah, just you know, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's always you know the debate that it's a uh, that it's tough to win from the coaching point of view <laughs> because because you know like most of the recreational players always think that they can improve much more if they just fix that one little detail in their forehand or backhand or serve. But you know the reality is probably somewhere somewhere in between, right? It's probably okay, like you probably can improve it, but look, the footwork you know is most of the time when you're making mistakes, most of the time it's not there so so you know start with the footwork first and then go into the into the you know mechanical parts so
0: yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I love that advice I was hitting with my my friend Kate, who's a great very good five oh player, and um you know, I just commented to her that you know we have much better footwork on our forehands and our backhands, which is mm-hmm. also coincidentally our weaker stroke. And whenever I focus on on the intense footwork, getting into position and prep- earlier preparation, it always mm-hmm. makes me play better. So exactly, just wow. a great one. Great tip, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and gosh, we only have a couple of minutes left. Um, mm-hmm. Ante, what, what's maybe like uh, one lesson that you've learned, you know, by, through your coaching, you know, like maybe, you know, throughout the, you know, time you, you learn like, Oh, you know, maybe I, I should change this type of approach that I'm doing in coaching. Has there any been any revelation like that for you in your coaching experience? Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Actually, yeah, just recently, you know, since I moved to Florida and uh, I started working with a 14 year old, uh, 14 year old that I'm working right now too. um, It's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the understanding that, uh, you know, the professional mindset that I, that it's in me and it's part of me since, you know, since I've been 13 years on the tour. Um, it's not necessarily always the best. And like, it's not necessarily always the most effective with the younger generations right now, mm-hmm. you know, because, uh, of course, then it all depends from the kid to kid to the kid. Everybody's different as well. Right. Okay. But, uh, I feel like with the younger generations nowadays, it's like, you really have to find that balance where, you know, you can keep them entertained and put the right amount of the hard work as well. You know? So um that was like one of the parts where I realized, okay, like, you know, the kid that I'm working with is uh very particular. You know, he's like uh likes tennis, but maybe doesn't like the tennis to the part where he really wants to work hard every single day and uh work same exact uh you know the drills and uh just the quantity and stuff like that. So I realized like maybe in the beginning it was a very tough learning curve for me and I thought like okay maybe I'm just not the right fit for that kid but mm-hmm. then I realized okay what can I do different in order to 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 match his perception and his level right and his understanding at the, at the point where he's 14 years old so you know I I I think I I made certain you know certain changes and uh, adjustments from from you know my perspective from my coaching perspective which then i felt like uh, you know made made his tennis better and and uh, the process of the improvement made much more you know enjoyable right so um so i think you know depending who you work with you always have to adjust, you know, of course there is, there should, there should be certain things that you gotta, you gotta, it's gotta be there because I mean, look, if you want to improve as a junior or professional player or something, you gotta, (laughs) you cannot go around certain things, you know, like you gotta work hard and you gotta be able to, you know, to, to, to ask for extra amount of repetitions or, or analyze certain things and stuff like that. But on the other side, you also, you know, you also as a coach have to find a way how to make them, you know, entertained. And from the, from the, from, from the point of view where they are, um you know, where they're inter- entertained, improve, improve at the same time, because, uh, you know, improvement oftentimes becomes very one-sided, very kind of boring, you know, mm-hmm. certain drills, are, certain drills are just like mentally draining and, you know, that you just gotta yeah. get out there and like, you know, nice. repeat, repeat that server, repeat that forehand over and over again. So how can you really, you know, make them have, you know, the joy and, and enough repetitions and the quantity at the same time so they can improve and have the joy at the same time, you know? That's, I think, the most challenging part, you know, so, uh, so yeah, yeah. At, at this point on, it's very interesting because, you know, that 14-year-old boy, like, made me really, Look at a certain things differently. And I believe made my coaching experience improve, you know, because I just, I believe to a certain extent I found a way to, to make him better by, by, you know, make him enjoy certain things more. And then, you know, at certain times I also like, you know, still make him work kind of like, let's say boring part of the practice and uh, re- repeat stuff again and again, over and over again. Uh, so, um, so yeah, yeah, that would be my answer. To your, to your question, yeah,
0: awesome, Ante. Yeah, it's yeah. great how, um, you know, you've got your problem solving and creativity going with that exactly. Yeah, you, you know, a lot of coaches they're also saying that you just like really have to adjust to every player, um, you know, they bring out the best in them, so that's mm. awesome, true, um,
2: true. But, but the, you know, the yeah. base really should be the base should be, look, do you do you want to improve and do you want to, yeah, what is your goal? What is your goal? Even as a 14 year old, what is your goal actually? Do you want to play? to the point where you can play good D1 tennis in four years from now. You know, if that's your goal, okay, then look, these are certain standards that you need to understand, yeah. you need to have, you know. So, uh obviously, if your goal is just to play casually tennis and be a country, you know, country club player, then, okay, like, then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then probably you should have a different, sure. uh, you know, different approach or maybe I'm not the right coach for you and stuff like that, right? So, so yeah, yeah, there's always a, uh, Adjustments need to be made, and uh, according to the you know different players, so
0: different mindsets yeah. as well. Hundred percent. Yeah, um, yeah. I just really enjoy the conversation. I know it's you know it's uh, pretty much time to <laughs> end, unfortunately, yeah. but I love love speaking with you. Uh, is there any any particular places where um, the audience you want them to connect with you? I don't know if it's social or mm. um, you, you know a website, like anything you want. You want to mm. shout out for them. So I'm, I'm
2: (laughs) that's a learning, learning curve for me too. Like, you know, we just Uh talked about it. Like I'm very old school, so I don't have a website currently. I, I basically have like a social media, Instagram and Facebook, which I Uh barely use. Uh, Uh, I do, I do post from time to time sometimes. So it's not that I don't use it at all. So yeah, Uh I do, I do have an Instagram. Uh, uh, my username is, I believe, uh, ante.pavik89. Uh huh. Got it. uh Perfect. and i live in fort Lauderdale currently you know working in fort Lauderdale, uh boca raton area so that's uh you know these are probably the you know the most important um uh, details n- details yeah. i need to give you yeah. and uh yeah instagram and where i work and um, and where i'm spreading my my wisdom <laughs> right yeah yeah you know, so like
1: a lot of wisdom yeah
2: yeah yeah well there's yeah i'm not saying you know there's a lot but i believe there's you know there's a lot of interesting uh uh advices and you know and uh experience i can i can share with the players yeah for sure any level yeah. so
0: yeah definitely definitely That's awesome it. Monte. well yeah thank you so much we'll definitely um you know put the links for your ig facebook um mm. on, on the show notes page and um mm. Yeah, and also uh, thanks to uh, Victor and Leith, too. Shout out to them, you know. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, Big and thanks to and Leith. buddies.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. So yeah Late, cool. Late, Late is still working on his one-handed backhand. Oh yeah, yeah, gotta, he's
1: working
2: on it. You gotta convince him it's a footwork, man. He keeps telling me some interesting stuff, man. Like my pinky finger, if it goes yeah. away from the handle. So now uh, when I my pinky finger is not holding the handle anymore, I'm not gripping record uh, with my pinky uh, finger. That's what it's the, the key for my one-handed bacon. So I'm like, okay, let's you uh, know, that's good. And that you found uh, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I think
0: he needs to record a video for you and send it. But I might see him Friday. I might even play him Friday. Who knows? So I'll perfect, definitely yeah. relay the message. Let, yeah.
2: Let me know. Is you know how he sees one-handed
0: bacon? Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's awesome. I love it. So, awesome. Um, okay. On date. Th- thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. And yeah, we'll be in touch. And uh, yeah, yeah, all the best. Yeah, you, we,
2: can, so. we can do this, you know, in the future again, for sure. It's a, it's a cool yeah. thing. I love it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks
0: so much, man. Thanks a you lot. Have a great day. You
2: too. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye.
0: All right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with former pro and current coach Ante Pavic. I really enjoyed that one. And again, you know, a lot of great advice from this one and hope to speak with Ante again soon. So thanks a lot for the time. Really appreciate that. And uh, if you did get value from this episode, I would really appreciate it if you leave a review for the Tennis Falls Podcast at tennisfalls.com slash apple podcasts with an S at the end. Or you can leave a review at your favorite podcast app of choice that you use to listen to the show. We just find that Apple Podcasts is the biggest mover of the show in terms of Uh, visibility and rankings and so forth. Don't really care so much about the rankings, but more about just um, pushing out the show to as many people as possible, which Apple Podcasts seems to do the best. So, yeah. I mean, if you're an Android user, then I guess you can't really leave a review there. Or maybe you can check it out. But um, in any case, thanks so much. And um, also I'll leave you with a quote, as I do at the end of every show, and this one is by... Greet weights uh, i hope i pronounced that right uh and the quote is you've got to look for tough competition you've got to want to beat the best not every usd player is thinking like that trying to protect their uh their ratings there but um yeah i hope that you can you know apply this quote very important one to just push yourself outside your comfort zone and play better players than you and even if you lose you know you learn from it and you improve more than you would than if you had played somebody you could easily beat. And then you don't really think about what you can improve because you felt like you played amazing, etc. Also, uh you may notice a little bit different of a uh, audio, you know, quality right now. And I just moved recently. So I don't have my full setup. I'm rocking with the AirPods pros at the moment. So I hope that it doesn't sound uh, much, you know, too far off from before, but in any case, I will get the equipment over soon. So yeah, it's managing the move and uh, you know preparing for the summit, which will be in early April. So really hope that you are looking forward to that one, and um, you know we'll make it as uh, best of an experience as we can. So there you go, uh, looking forward to it. And with that, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Falls Podcast. This is your faithful host here vanara chad signing out thanks for listening to the tennis
2: files podcast for more tips to help you improve your tennis game visit
1: tennisfiles.com